I love, I love, I love the power of God to overcome whatever circumstance you're facing. That is really, truly the joy of becoming a follower of Jesus is that you suddenly now have access to a father who loves you, cares for you, and, 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 and wants to overcome all of the, of the obstacles and the pain and the difficulty and the despondency in your life and take you places where you've never been before. That's what he wants for you. In fact, there's an old song that I love that, that recognizes, it recognizes the pain, recognizes the despondency, the anxiety, the fears that sometimes accompany life, but then also recognizes the answer for the despondency and, 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 and the fear and the, and, the, and the anxiety that we sometimes face. Gary, you know that song I'm talking about? It's uh, Mahalia Jackson. Why should I feel? Remember that song? Why, Why should, I, should feel I feel discouraged? That's the one. Anybody know that song? Why should the shadows come? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart feel lonely? Why should my heart feel lonely? When longing for heaven and home. And long for heaven and home. When Jesus is my portion. When Jesus is my portion. My constant friend is he. His eye is on the sparrow. His eye is on the sparrow. Guess who he's watching over today? And, and I, know I know that he's watching. He watches over me. He watches me. Come on, somebody. That's my cousin, by the way. That's my cousin. Um, the, the reality is, the reality is, we all go through pain in life. We all experience discouragement in life. We all experience anxiety and troubles in life. Some of you may be experiencing right now. You may have come here carrying a weight that you don't know what to do with. And what I want to do today is, is to dive into the Word of God and get some direction from God about the question why do I feel discouraged? Why do I feel discouraged? Would you turn to somebody on your way to your seat and tell them, I need this message today. Tell them, I need. And then tell them, and so do you. Yes, so do you. You need this one too. Amen. I, um, as I was preparing for this sermon this week, I, uh, you know, I, I was just sort of thinking about the, the, the moments in my own life where I have felt discouraged from time to time. And um, I'm, not a, I'm not generally a discouraged guy. I'm a pretty optimistic, I'm a pretty optimistic guy. I, I, I feel, you know, generally happy in life. Um, but, but every once in a while, all of us go through times of discouragement, times of anxiety, times of of worry or fear and sometimes it's 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 
It's prompted by some external circumstance, and sometimes we don't know where it comes from. We just get a wave of discouragement. We just get a wave of, of, of anxiety or, or depression or, or something like that. Has anybody ever, ever been discouraged in your life? If, if, if you haven't, um, come, come and talk to me after this sermon because um, you're discouraging me by your lack of discouragement, all right? Uh, we've, all, we've all been there. In fact, when we launched the church years ago, uh, eight years ago, I remember there was... There were sort of two stages during the week. There was the stage leading up to Sunday, which was a stage, uh, I would say, characterized internally by me, uh, and, uh, characterized by anxiety. Like I was getting ready for the sermon. I was getting ready to preach. I was trying to get ready to, and I didn't really know if I knew what I was doing. And, and sometimes I still don't know if I know what I'm doing. But I was, I was worried, like, you know, am I going to say anything that makes sense? Is it going to be useful to somebody? Am, am I going to be able to speak in a way that, that, that brings hope to anybody, right? And the other anxiety was, like, will they know that I just studied this verse like 48 hours before I preached it? Will they know that I'm only like a day ahead of them? Like, like you know, so I would have anxiety leading up to Sunday and then we would have church and then after church I would go into a period of I don't know if it was it was it was you know technically but it felt like depression it felt like I would go home and kind of they call it the Mount Carmel meltdown for pastors it's like when the when you come down from the mountain you've been up there preaching and then you come down and it just felt like I would start my mind would start to go around and around and say you know did did I say did I say that right did I say the right thing why wasn't that person there? Uh, what did that person mean when they said that to me? And, and so you would go into, I would go into like a little bit of a state of, of depression. So, so that would be like Thursday to Saturday would be the anxiety. And then Monday to, to Wednesday would be the, the depression. So about Wednesday night, I would have just about two hours of like, okay, everything's cool now, right? So, but there was just this kind of, it was, a, it was a time of discouragement. It was a time of great encouragement, but there was some discouragement in my life as well. And I, and I know that a lot of us experience that. I know that I'm not the only one who has ever gone through periods of anxiety and, and periods of, of worry. Uh, in fact, the more I've researched this over the last several weeks and, and then uh, even this past week, uh, the more I've seen articles and, and um, uh, descriptions about this period in our history being what's called an age of anxiety, where especially among younger people. There's just anxiety. There's worry. There's fear. There's depression in, in sort of epidemic proportions like, like never before. In fact, I came across some stats for you this week. Uh, bef before, uh, between 2005 and 2017, the rate of 12 to 17-year-olds who experienced a major depressive episode in the past year rose by 52%. It, it's a dramatic increase among kids who are experiencing major depressive episodes. The next one says in young people ages 18 to 25, the percentage with depression rose 63% between 2009 and 2017. There's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of worry. There's a lot of, uh, of, of fear uh, in our lives. Young adults affected by serious psychological distress, meaning anxiety or depression, a sense of hopelessness or worthlessness in the past 30 days rose by 71% in 2017. We've, we've all felt this sense of discouragement. Why, why do I feel discouraged? I know we've all asked that question before. Why do I feel discouraged? And as we're pursuing this series, I want to say that, that God does not want you to remain in a state of discouragement. 
If you're in a state of discouragement, that's not the, that's not the destination that God has for you. If you're in a state of, of worry and anxiety, that's not the ultimate state that God has for you. He actually wants to bring you through into a life of joy. And he wants you to bring you into a life of peace. And he wants to bring you into a life of power and strength. In fact, one of the scriptures, one of my favorite scriptures on this topic says this. God has not given us the spirit of fear. This is not from God when we are, when we are, when we are embroiled in a long state of anxiety and, and dread. That is, not a, that is not from God. He did not give that to us. In fact, he's given us the spirit of power and the spirit of love and of a sound mind. So how do I get from here to there? How do I get from the spirit of fear or discouragement, anxiety, and weary to the spirit of power, love, and a sound mind? Because sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes I'll go on a detour. And, and, and I realize that I've gone on a detour. This isn't the destination that God wants me to get, get to. I'm down on, I'm on the detour of fear. I'm on the detour of anxiety. I'm on the detour uh, of worry. And, 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 de- and depression. And he wants to take us somewhere else. He wants to bring us to power, love, and a sound mind. So what I want to do today is do my dead level best to give you what I understand God to be saying in his word to you and me about how to get from here, wherever that is in terms of your mental state, to there. The, the, the fear, the anxiety, the worry, to the power, the love, and the sound mind. Because the first thing we have to do when, we, when we're checking, when we're, when we're trying to get from here to there is we need to, we need to check the signal that we're receiving in life. We need to check the, the input that we're receiving in life. Because the scripture says God has not given us the spirit of fear. So, so where is that spirit of fear? Where is that signal coming from? Uh, two weeks ago when we launched this series, a friend of mine who is an aerospace engineer... He's like the smartest guy I know. He's, a, he's an actual rocket scientist. Was here, and afterwards we went to lunch, and we started talking. And he said, you know, I really like the, 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 you know, the, the series. I like the discussion about the GPS and how, like, God will lead us and guide us. He said, because at my work, I'm actually working on GPS uh, issues. Like when the GPS goes down, uh, if, if you're in an airplane and a, or, a, or a helicopter and the GPS goes down, how does that pilot find his way? How does that, that airplane or that helicopter, that weapon find its way? So they're doing some research on the technology for when GPS goes down and they've got all these cool technologies where they do like imprint mapping where, the, where there are cameras on the, on the airplane and they take pictures of the surroundings and then they lay those pictures over an imprint in their computer uh, of, of the world and then they figure out where they are based on those coordinates or they, they do star navigation where they can figure out where the stars are and then what date it is and what time it is, and then they can figure out their way if the GPS isn't working. Or they, they have another one where it's like they, they're working on trying to get uh, uh, coordinating where you are based on magnetic fields so, the, so that the plane can figure out how to sense magnetic fields, and then if the GPS goes out, it can still find its way. So I said, I said, well, what would make the GPS go out? Like, why do we have to have these additional technologies? Why can't we just use the GPS? He said, oh, well, there's two reasons. He said the first reason is what we call jamming, and the second reason is what we call spoofing. And I said, okay, so explain that to me. He said jamming is when the enemy comes and they send out uh, uh, multiple radio signals that interfere with the signal that you're supposed to receive, and therefore now you're not receiving the signal. Your signal is jammed, and so you're not able to receive the input that you're supposed to receive, and so you get lost. You get on a, on a detour. You, get, you start going down the wrong direction. I said, well, spoofing sounds even more interesting. What's that? He said, well, spoofing is when the enemy comes and actually gives you false coordinates 
So, so now you are starting to think that you're in one place when in fact you're in another place because you've received a signal that isn't the signal from where you're trying to receive the signal from and now you are disoriented because you're getting information. You're receiving a signal that isn't the right signal. In fact, it's a false signal. Come on, somebody. Knows. Church folks know where I'm going with this, right? Listen, a lot of times in our life, our signal can get jammed. We, we're, we've got too many voices coming into our life and so we're not receiving the central voice that we need to receive because there's too many other there's too many radio waves going on, and now I'm not hearing from God. I'm not receiving the peace of God because it's too crowded. My frequency is too crowded. The signal is not coming in clearly. Or I'm receiving some thoughts and entertaining some thoughts and believing some thoughts that aren't, aren't of God. They're the false signal. They're the false coordinates. They're the wrong direction, and I'm receiving them as if they're from God because the enemy has somehow sent those signals my direction, and I'm listening to them. How many of you know that not every thought in your mind is true? Not every thought in your mind is true. Some people don't know that. Now you just learned that today. Just because it's in your voice and just because it's in your head doesn't make it true. You can have false thoughts. And, and the worst kind are the ones that are kind of true. They're like partially true. So you know that that little piece is true, and then, but they're exaggerated or they're distorted. Those are the best lies. The best lies are the ones that have a germ of truth. And then you believe the whole lie because you believe the little piece. God is saying to somebody today, listen, I need you to stop receiving the signals that are coming from a deceitful place or the lies that you're, that you're believing in your own mind because I have a destination for you, but I need you to receive the, the truth of my word and the truth of my spirit and the truth of my love and the truth of who you are in me. In fact, one of the scriptures puts it like this. It says, we take captive every thought, every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Every thought that you have that stands in contravention, in, contra in, in contrast to what God says about you, is a false thought. And if God says, look, I, I love you. Uh, you're worth something to me. Don't think I'm not loved and I'm, and I'm worthless because those thoughts are not true. You've got to check that signal because you might be receiving the wrong signal. The second one is this. Set your sights. Set your sights. What does that mean? That means you have to have some control over what comes in. And you have to set your sights on the things that you want to set your sights on that are going to benefit you, that are going to lead you to where God wants you to get. Um, I learned a new phrase this week while studying for this. It's called the attention economy. Anybody ever heard of the attention economy? All right. Now that I've got your attention, then I'm going to uh, economize on that. So here's, here's what it means. Here's what it means. The attention economy is, is the economy of, the, of every social media platform that you, ha that you have. The attention economy means every social media platform is vying for your attention and your attention is worth something because the longer you are attentive to that thing, the more uh, advertising revenue can be generated and, and, and the better off it is for the company that's got your attention. So now every company that has a social media platform is trying to, and you can't blame them, they're trying to, they're vying for your attention. Your attention is the, is the commerce that they are transacting for. They want you, has anybody ever heard of a push notification? You know what a push notification, right? It's the little buzzes on your phone. It's the little bzz that you, that you get on your phone whenever somebody likes your Facebook post, right? And you know what happens when you get that little buzz? You get a little buzz. You actually get a little buzz. You get, you get a little shot of dopamine in your mind that goes, huh, I wonder, I wonder what that is. I wonder if they like my thing. I wonder if I'm validated as a human being. And so you look at, right? Because, there's, because there are a lot of folks vying for your attention. 
Facebook is vying for your attention. Instagram is vying for your attention. YouTube is vying for your attention, right? Tumblr, Reddit, who am I missing? Uh, Snapchat is vying for, everybody's vying for your attention. And you know, all of, those, all of those platforms represent billions of people. In fact, they represent almost every human being on the planet. So now, in the back, in your pocket or in your purse or wherever you hold your phone, you've got a billion voices calling out to you saying, hey, pay attention to me. And if you're paying attention to all of those and the messages that they are conveying, guess who you're not paying attention to? Guess whose voice you're not hearing? Because you have set your sights on something below, not on something above. The scripture puts it like this. Here's what it says. Set your sights, set your hearts on things above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. In other words, don't, don't be comparing yourself to somebody else's vacation pictures. All right, don't be comparing yourself to somebody else's gym pictures, right? Those are airbrushed. I'll just tell you right now. They airbrush that, right? Don't, don't set your heart, set your mind, set your views on things above. Here's another scripture on this same thing. It says, brothers and sisters, listen, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is, is excellent or praiseworthy, that's what you want to think about. Put your, set your sight on those things because, because that will actually begin to steer your mind in a different direction. Sometimes you have to direct your mind where to go. Are you guys with me this morning? Anybody with me? All right. Here's what happens when we do that. When we do, think about these things, here's what the scripture says. The peace of God. The peace of God will be with you. The peace of God comes when you put your mind on things that are pure and right and lovely and good and holy and noble and excellent and praiseworthy. That's what happens. The out, outcome of that is peace of mind. All right. Number three. You ready? This is a clinic on getting, getting, getting over discouragement. The third one is this. Confess your sins. Nobody likes this one. Nobody likes this one. This is, not, this is the least popular. That's why I put it right in the middle. I put it right in the middle. Um, the reality is this. Anxiety and discouragement, fear and despondency come from all different angles, right? Uh, and sometimes they're connected to all different sorts of things. Sometimes they are connected to the fact that our, our actions are not aligned with our identity. Are you with me, somebody? Like sometimes we do or say something that isn't aligned with who God says he wants us to be and who we really are. And when the gap between those two things creates a tension... And that tension creates some anxiety. In fact, sometimes anxiety can be a really good thing because it alerts you to the fact that, whoops, I'm out of line. I'm, I'm on a detour. I'm not on my destiny. I'm on a detour. I'm not following God's direction. Sometimes anxiety can tell you like, hey, you know, you need to come back over here. Confess your sins. I'm going to confess one. You guys want to hear one today? Lightweight, light confession. Um, this Saturday, yesterday, uh, yesterday. I was participating in a, um, in a parade for our kids. It was the U-City uh, Flynn Park Homecoming Parade for the whole district, actually. My wife was involved in, in um, you know, organizing it. It was an awesome parade, and a lot of our church folk were there in full effect. Felix was pulling the float, and uh, Marcus McCullough was DJing, and there, we had a lot of folks at this thing. And I was in the parade. My job was just to walk alongside and make sure kids didn't get run over by the float. So I just did my thing. So we're all on this, we're all on this parade. We had a nice time, family day, fun time. We go back afterwards to this parking lot, and um, the, the float parked. And then I pulled up behind the float, 
uh, in my car to uh, help unload the float. There were some things I needed to help with. So I helped unload the float, okay? So I'm unloading the float. Now, where my car is parked is not a parking space. It was a driving space in a parking lot. But I will say there, were, there was ample room to get around. I'm just going to preface the story by kind of laying some groundwork, okay? So there was room to get around. You're tracking with me, right? So I'm carrying speakers and helping, helping to do this stuff. Well, then somebody starts talking to me from the neighborhood. And so then, you know, I'm a pastor, so I can't help myself. So now I'm, in, I'm engaged in a conversation, like kind of a long conversation. And, and, and my kids are, are in the car, but it, it's all good. The, the, the windows are open. Everybody's having a good time. Um, what I didn't notice is that a car had pulled in behind my car in the parking lot and was kind of at an angle behind my car, which then prevented the vehicles coming the other direction from getting through. Can you imagine what I'm saying right now? Now, let me, let me just say this. They didn't actually have to park at that angle. I'm just saying they didn't have to park like that. Okay, they could have parked a different place. They could have parked anywhere. They could have just backed up, right? But anyway, so my wife comes over. This story's gonna pay off, I promise you. Um, my wife comes over and she says, you're causing a traffic jam. There's cars all parked, all, you know, it's big. So I look over, I go, oh man. So I go running over. And I'm in the spirit on the Lord's day. I'm not, and I'm not in the flesh at this moment. So I run over there to, to move my car, right? Now, I did think to myself, because there was a family in the car, I did kind of think to myself, well, I mean, they could have just pulled around, you know, the thing, and there's another part. I thought that. I didn't say that. I just thought it. I just thought, well, you didn't have to cause it. I know that I instigated the traffic jam, but you, you exacerbated the traffic jam with your janky parking job. So anyway, so I didn't say that. I thought it. So anyway, I'm going to go get in my car and move my car. That's my plan. And as I'm jogging towards the car, the, the, there's a family in this car. The, the mother leans out of her window and she goes, move your car. Okay, kind of hard like that. Kind of a little, little diggy, you know? And I was thinking like, I was, that's what I was doing. I was like getting ready to move the car. But now you've said this and I feel like, <laughs> I feel like we should have a discussion about that because you just said it like that, you know? So, 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 so that's when I said what I was thinking, which is, you know, well, you guys, I mean, okay, I'm going to move my car, but like you didn't have to park at that angle and cause this big traffic jam. That's what I said. Pretty gently. I felt like it was a pretty fair assessment. I don't think I'm tilting this too far my direction, maybe a little bit, but anyway, you're on my side. I don't even know them. So, so I said, you know, you could have done that, right? So that's what you could have done. I said, and then she says, well, yeah, well, you could have parked in a parking space. So I'm like, okay, all right, all right, all right. So then what I wanted to do was explain to her why I wasn't parked in a parking space. I thought that would help. I said, you know, I, we just had a parade, and I was backed up, you know, I was helping unload the, the you know, the float. And so she says, I don't care about your parade. Okay, so now, now I want to move very slowly. I just want to start... So I, I couldn't, I'm not good at, if somebody insults me, it takes me like 15 minutes to come up with a good comeback. Like I takes, like I'm good at coming up with comebacks, but it's only after a 15 minute interval. And then I go, oh, you know what I should have said? But I couldn't think of it in like right then. She said, I don't care about your parade. Now my kids are in my car. They can hear all this, right? So, but I did the, it was such a rookie comeback. I was like, well, I don't care about, and I couldn't think of what I didn't care about. So I was like, I don't care about you. And immediately I regretted saying that for two reasons. One, 
That is a lame comeback. That is not a, that is, that has no sting to it. Two, I'm a pastor of a church like 100 yards away. Our mission is to bring people and God together in love. <laughs> I'm called to love my neighbor as myself, and I'm literally, like, literally saying, I don't care about you, okay? So then I went and got in my car, and I moved, I moved the car. Um, but it bugged me afterwards, right? And it, it kind of bugged me that she had said that, right? But what really bugged me is that I was saying something that was in direct direct contrast to what I'm supposed to be, to what I believe about her and me and God and everything else. I'm like in direct contrast. So I, and my kids were in the, that was the other thing, my kids heard me. So they're, I'm sure it's part of their mind is like, okay, pastor. All right, pastor dad, with your I don't care about you. So, so that afternoon, I'm like, I get them together. I go, guys, I need to tell you something. I said, you guys heard what I said to that lady in the parking lot. You heard that, right? And their first response was to make fun of how lame of a comeback it was. They were like, they were like yeah, you said, I don't care about you. And yeah, they did a kindergarten voice, which I deserved. And so I said, yes, that is true. But the other part of that is that was a sin, okay? That was, a, that was me missing the mark. That was me responding suddenly in a way that um, I shouldn't have responded, and I didn't mean that. And, and if, I, if I could do it all over again, if I saw her again, I would say, I would tell her, I would say, I would say, look, I'm sorry, you know, and then I might say, but you could have parked a different, but, but I would, I wouldn't say that part. I would, I would just say, because it's a sin, right? So, so after we have that conversation, now I'm relieved, right? Now the stress is off because I, I, I sinned, right? Now that was a kind of a lightweight sin, but it was still a sin. And then I confessed the sin. And so whatever worry, anxiety, discouragement I felt in the interim was lifted as a result of the fact that at a certain point I went, okay, I'm just going to own up to this. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that, right? David, the King David, many of you know, is a far worse sinner than me and probably worse than most of you, I hope, because he committed lots of sins. He did very, very bad things. And I love what he writes in the Psalm. Look at this, what he writes about anxiety. He says, when I kept silent about my sin, when I kept it inside, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. He was utterly depressed because he was silent about his sin. My strength, he said, was sapped as in the heat of summer. But then listen to this. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, to God, and did not cover up my iniquity, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. You forgave me. You are my hiding place, O Lord. You will protect me from trouble, and you will surround me with songs of deliverance. Think about the here to there on this. He goes from my bones are groaning and broken all day because I'm carrying the sin and the weight of the, and discouragement and despondency to I'm being surrounded by songs of deliverance, right? Why? Because I confess my sins. Sometimes we just need to unload, unburden the things that we've been carrying around because they're causing us stress, they're causing us anxiety because they're in contrast to what God wants for us. Are you with me this morning, somebody? All right, number four is this, reject your shame. Number four, reject your shame. You want to experience the joy of the Lord? Don't, don't carry shame. The scripture says there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. I actually wrote to five people that I know this, this week, five mental health professionals that I respect. And I said, I said, if you could tell pastors what you wish pastors would tell congregations about people struggling with anxiety, 
depression, uh, any kind of mental health challenge, what would you tell them? What would you, what would you want pastors to tell congregations? It was fascinating because there was a through line for every single one of them. They all had brilliant things to say. But, but the one thing that, that sort of went through every single one of their responses was remove the shame. Because you see, when you're down, when you're despondent, when you're despairing, when you're anxious, when you're depressed, and then you're ashamed of being anxious or depressed or despondent, now you're just driving yourself even further down, right? Because now you're ashamed of the feeling of being upset and now you just, now, you're, now, you, now you don't know how to get out. You end up on a downward cycle. And so these, these Christian counselors, all of whom I respect and admire, they, they wrote me back, and I'm just going to give you little excerpts of what they said. One of them said this, normalize it. Normalize the struggle. We all struggle in varying levels, and there is a healing element present when it is allowed to be freely shared, supported, and accepted. We all struggle. You're not alone. We all struggle. There's no shame. Seeking help for a mental or emotional pain is not a lack of faith. It's actually an element of partaking in and participating in the community that God provides. I like number three. Number three is right on the nose. It says, the stigma of mental health struggles has lingered in many churches with clients often feeling unintentionally shamed for their mental health struggles. In other words, people that are struggling with, with issues related to emotional or mental health sometimes feel a stigma attached to that, and the shame actually makes it worse. And then the last one is from our very own Debbie Bennett, who's a, a counselor. She says, when our thoughts are broken, damaged, or wounded, it mars almost everything within our lives, especially our ability to comprehend just how well-loved we actually are by our Heavenly Father. Pursuing a mentally healthy life is an intentional effort and oftentimes requires us to receive help from others. Can I just encourage you as a pastor? I believe, I, the scripture says that in the abundance of counselors, there is safety. You know, and, and, and there's healing in the wise words of, of, uh, of those who give wise advice. There's healing in that. And I would just encourage all of you, any of you who are struggling at a level where you, you just can't carry it on your own, don't be afraid to get help. Don't be ashamed of that. There's no shame in that. It's actually a step of courage to admit you have a, a difficulty and a problem that you need help with. We actually support two counseling uh, agencies in St. Louis. One's called Avenues Counseling Center, and one is called uh, Crossroads Counseling Center. And I'm, I'm, an, I'm just going to tell you straight out, there's no shame in seeking help from somebody who knows how to do this stuff. There's no shame in that. All right? So you don't have to be crazy to get some help. Don't be afraid of that. All right? Th the next one is this. Lose yourself. Lose yourself. What does that mean? What that means is a lot of times we get, we get full of anxiety because we get full of ourself. You know? And, and, and if we're experiencing problems and then all we're focusing on are our problems, then our problems get exaggerated. Our problems get worse because we're, we're honing in on our problem. And Jesus said this. I love how Jesus says these things that are just mind-blowingly brilliant in so many areas of life. He says, whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. What does that mean? That means, God, I'm going to actually not just focus on myself. I'm going to actually focus on you. I'm going to focus on somebody. Else. I'm going to focus on serving somebody. I'm going to focus on helping somebody. I'm going to focus on, I'm going to focus on the purpose that you've placed in my life. And when my purpose begins to expand, then my problems look small by comparison. Are you with me, somebody? So don't lose yourself in pursuit of Christ because that will actually diminish, diminish the focus that you experience on your problems. 
The next one is this, and I'm going to wrap this up quick. Number five-ish or six-ish, for those of you who are taking notes. Be still. Be still. Be still. Uh, sometimes we need silence. Sometimes we just need some, a moment to turn off the noise. Sometimes we need to just turn off the noise. Yesterday, as I was preparing for this sermon, I went down to the Shaw campus, and it was just totally silent in there. And I got to just be in the sanctuary down there. And I just, I was just praising God. I was walking up and down the aisles. And I just was praising God and just, just experiencing him. Just experience. I had nothing, wasn't asking him for anything. Wasn't trying to get something from him. Wasn't, you know, I just was like, uh, I was just worshiping him. Just admiring him. The scripture says this, be still and know that I am God. Sometimes if you'll just remember the, remember the size of your problem compared to the size of your creator, the, the problem just starts to diminish because you're just being still and you're just remembering who God is. You're acknowledging who he is. This is the last one. I'm going to close with this. Stay connected. Stay connected to your source. God is the source of your strength. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but he's given us a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. And when we stay connected to him, when we which means we stay disconnected from some other stuff. Are you with me? You stay not only disconnected from other stuff, but you stay connected to him. If, if the scriptures that you see on this screen are, are the only scriptures you see all week, that's not going to be enough to nourish you, right? Our goal, my goal as a pastor, is to help nourish your spiritual strength all week so that you can have the spirit of power and of, and of love and of a sound mind that, that you can walk through life with joy and with an abundance and with a, a, a hope. The scripture says we hope as, uh, we, don't, we don't grieve as those who have no hope. We have a hope in this world and beyond this world. That's why the scripture can say this. Do not, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Present your requests to God. And then it says this. Here's what will happen. The peace of God. The peace of God. Which passes all understanding. Which means you can't even understand where the peace comes from. The peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and will guard your minds in Christ Jesus. Turn it over to him. Turn it over to him. He is the source of your strength. He is the source of your power. He is the source of your identity. He is the source of your love. He is the source of every part of your life. If you'll just turn it over to him. Follow his direction. Let him get you from here to there. Would you stand with me this morning? Um, the song, Why Should I Feel Discouraged? Right? It says, when Jesus is my portion, my constant friend is he. His eye is on the sparrow and I know he watches me. And then it says, therefore, I sing because I'm happy. And I sing because I'm free. Because his eye is on the sparrow. And I know he watches me. God is near you today. God is with you today. Receive him and experience his peace. Let me pray for you. Father, we come before you with gratitude again for your word, for your direction, 
for your guidance, for your leadership in our life. We submit our life to you. We humbly submit our life to you, our heart, our mind, our soul, our body. We seek to follow you with everything we've got. We love you, uh, and we know you love us. We know that we can cast our cares upon you. We can cast our anxiety upon you because you care for us. And God, I pray right now for every single person in this room that each and every one of us would take the steps necessary to experience your love, your grace, and your mercy in our life, to experience what is already there, to experience the joy and the peace that passes understanding, the comfort of the Holy Spirit, and the power, God, that you have given to each and every one of us who put our faith in you. God, we pray this in your name, to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have an awesome week. We'll see you next Sunday, everybody.